On this episode, I am joined by Irish international event rider Casey Webb. Casey is an up-and-coming Irish event rider and has been based with Stephen and Trevor Smith for the last number of years. Casey is a member of the Irish Senior High Performance Horizon Squad and has represented Ireland at a Young Rider European Championship. Her recent successes include winning the HSI 8 and 9 year old Mayor Development League on Stephen Smith's April Fikino time. Having showed her ponies up to Grand Prix, she made the big switch to eventing after attending Queen's University in Belfast, where she got a first class honours in actuarial science. We covered so much in our conversation, from what it's like working with the Smith brothers, how Casey views pressure, and the importance of training under pressure at home ahead of competition. I really hope you enjoy our conversation. On today's show, I am so delighted to be joined by Irish International Event Writer, Casey Webb. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Siobhan. Thank you for having me. No bother. We got in touch to uh, the wonderful powers of uh, social media. And yeah, we've been chatting back and forth for a while. And I'm so delighted to have you on. And I guess I'll start at the start as I usually do. And tell us all how you got into horses. Yeah, so... I grew up in the countryside and neither of my parents rode, but my dad always had an interest in racing and as a hobby, he did one or two thoroughbred mares that he bred foals and I just loved it from when I was a kid. I wanted to be out around them, grooming them, cleaning stables, leading them in and out from the field. You know, I'd come home from school every day and go out and check them. And from there, I went to the local riding school and started riding. I think my parents then realised this is not going to go away. You know, she's obsessed. So they got me a pony called Misty, uh, who was a grade B jumping 12-2 at that stage. And I had her to learn on. Um, a very good family friend, Mary Mahan, kept an eye on me. She came, I was only allowed to ride when she was at the house. You know, would have taught me on the pony taught me how to look after it. Every time I rode, I had to clean my tack. If my pony wasn't groomed, I didn't ride it. You know, she would have taught me when I was stirrups and work on the lungs. And actually in hindsight, it was the best start because it wasn't just about riding. You know, I had to look after my pony and do everything with it. So I had a really good start there. And then I joined the Ivey Pony Club, which again, looking back was brilliant because there's so many good riders have come through that. Do you know, when I think back of like who I was in Pony Club with, you see like, you know, Lorcan Gallagher out now winning everything in America and going really well. You know, he was a few years older. Um, you know, and even some of, like so many people's parents had been around badminton and Burley and on teams. It was just such a horsey club and the people you were taught by, you, know, you didn't realise the expertise and what you had when you were younger. So that was a really good, good stepping stone as well. Um, so yeah, from there then, Mary who taught me, she ran Loud County Show, um, which a lot of people would know. And she used to bring me with her, you know, watch the jumping and let me help her. I used to bring the tickets to the judges and bring them lunch when they needed to. And I remember they used to jump the Premier Grand Prix on a Sunday. And after that, they would have had the European trial for the 14 twos to who would go, for who would go to the Europeans. And I remember watching me like, I want that to be me. Like, that is, that is my goal. I want to go to the Europeans. And I was set on that from a young age. I had my parents tortured. I had posters in my you know, in my bedroom, you know, like that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I also remember I used to watch Olive Clark jumping the Grand Prix and she had a lovely horse called Paradise G and she had a lovely jacket with a pink collar. And that's who I wanted to be like. I wanted to jump in the Europeans and I wanted to have a jacket like Olive Clark. So that was what the <laughs> seven, eight year old me was just obsessed. So yeah, I jumped some ponies. You know, I'm very lucky. I had a lot of opportunities from my parents, but we were never really in a position to go and buy Grand Prix ponies and yeah. do that. You know, I was always producing young ponies or riding ponies for people, which you know, has taught me a lot. But yeah, I rode young ponies. My brother then got a pony, so that's a great bond. You know, we've had that together. You know, he show jumps now. He rides for Marion Hughes, actually. So it's a nice bond to have. So yeah, I went from there and jumped some young ponies. Never really did many of the you know the big things till I got to 14 twos in my second last year of ponies I got the ride on an event pony that didn't have a great record but a lot of people had talked about it you know saying this is this is going to be a good pony we think um and at that stage I was trained by Stephen and Trevor Smith and still am 
who I had met when I was in Pony Club. Um, Stephen was actually teaching me one, in Pony Club one day. I think I was about 10. And to be honest, it was my pony Misty who probably made me look good. I think he was a bit, um, he got a bit short changed. So I was just riding a good pony, I think. And he invited me if I wanted to come and train in his yard and have a look around. And he started training me. So, so I've been very lucky I've had that guidance. And Trevor, his brother, he let me have a sit in his four-star horse. It was called Listenery Lark at that time. And he popped me up and he was like, you know, put your leg there. That's a half pass. Put your leg there. That's a change. And, you know, ever since they have been more than good to me. You know, they helped me with that pony and we started eventing. And I remember when I we were second at our first event, we won the next one. I think we started second, first, second, first. And I thought, this is easy, isn't it? This is great. <laughs> um, later, later, I found out it's not like that. <laughs> but that was a, it was a really good start. And with that pony, you know, we just clicked. And it was brilliant. I got a lot of experience. We moved up to what's well, now 110. It's putting two star at the time. And got leading pony two star combination in the north that you know at the end of that year. So it was a pretty quick rise, but um yeah, gave me a lot of good experience. And you know, in my head is right, I can go to the Europeans now. That's what I've wanted. This is my goal. Um but unfortunately for me, the owner the owner sold the pony, so that wasn't to be. And then I got the ride on a jumping pony who messed, you know, was messing about on his rider and bucking and sort of you know, taking the hand a little bit and they asked me would I have a go on it and it was just one of those moments that you just sit on a horse and you know they're just made for you I still remember the day I sat in it and we just clicked and the pony I think had done a few 120s it was a brilliant pony called Clag and Gypsy Delight and he was eight years old and we'd he'd done a few 120s and within six weeks we had qualified for Dublin he jumped one of only three double clears in the Dublin qualifier yeah, you know, when he went, he was wow. he was placed in literally everything he did that year. You know, Premier Grand Prix, not the Grand Prix at the National Championships. Um, had the last fence down in the main arena in Dublin. Still grinds me. I don't know, ten years later that, uh, but he was a fantastic pony. Could have won Dublin. So, such a competitor. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was a fantastic pony too. And again, the owner at that stage, he was eight, didn't want him to go to the Europeans because he felt he was too young. You know, so I was like, oh, there's, that, there's that dream again, slipped away. So from there, I was finished ponies and I was doing my A-levels at that stage and didn't, you know, didn't have a horse. And I'd gone back to the show jumping after me, my year eventing. You know, I thought that was fun to, you know, go back to my jumping. I like doing that. I'm good at it. And as I was going into horses, it was Stephen Smith who said to me, you know, I have some small horses or you know, I can't really ride them too tall. Would you want to give it a go? You know, you can ride them in the junior classes. So my life turned in a pretty hectic schedule of, you know, I live in Newry, so I'd go to school, get the school bus to Guildford. He would come and get me off the school bus, forget about me most days, leaving me in the cold and have to ring him to come and get me because he's forgotten. And I'd ride my horses. <laughs> and my mum or dad would come and get me then and bring me home. You know, who and my mum and dad are brilliant. Like, as I said, we maybe weren't in the position to go and buy these Grand Prix ponies, but anything I ever needed like that, they'd run and get me, you know, they'd go to work all day and drive 40 minutes to go and collect me from the yard, you know, and bring me home again to do my homework. And, you know, they were brilliant like that, you know, in that way of being supportive. So I rode for Stephen and Trevor and did juniors and got a lot of help from them, just do, doing the young horses you know, through those classes. And at the stage, I was... You know, I'd done my A-levels and decided, you know, I was trying to decide, do I take a gap year or do I go to university? And I knew in my head if I took a gap year, I wouldn't go back. Because, um, you know, a year's not a long time in horses to really get established at anything. And I knew if I got in somewhere and got into a system, I definitely wouldn't go back to university. So I had no look, I'll keep going. I'll keep going with my education when I'm going. You know, And it is, it's easily carried. And, you know, I love riding horses now. Will I use it in the future? I, I don't know. But, you know, it is definitely easily carried. And so I went, decided I was going to go to Queen's. Um, I knew I liked maths. I wasn't sure what to do. But so I went to the careers class and looked up, right, well, pay me loads of money if I qualify that I can buy really nice horses. 
So <laughs> I decided, right, I'll do actuary, that'll pay me loads of money. Um, little did I really discover that you had to work in the middle of the city to do this job, maybe until a bit later. But I did my degree. <laughs> um, well, I was in Queens, so I used to either go and ride my horses in the yard in the morning and then go to Queens or go to Queens and then go to the yard. So again, was riding young horses, mostly at sort of 100 level, but it was a very good experience the whole way through, you know, and got a lot of help again from Stephen and Trevor. You know, and just horses is just about learning your trade. Like there's no shortcut for experience at all. You know, and yeah. I thankfully got a lot, a lot of it. And at the end of being 2016, a lady approached me, Lucinda Blackson Houston, um, and she said, look, I have, I have this horse, I've invented, you know, to novice on it, doing amateurs. And she had a very you know, unfortunate incident. She had got cancer and lost part of her leg. Um, very inspirational lady. I think she's the quickest person in Northern Ireland ever to walk after a leg amputation and was the reserve to go to Tokyo for the Paralympics. Like, remarkable, oh, inspirational yeah. lady. But she said, you know, I have this horse, I've evented to novice. I'm not going to event it now. And I would love to see a girl have it. And, you know, she had whipped in, you know, for the hunt. It had, the master had hunted it. You know, just done her kids had rode it. It's done everything, done amateur, you know, done amateur eventing with her. And I said, right, did you know the Young Rider Europeans are in Mill Street next year? I, I would like to go. Can I try and do this on your horse? So I came back to Stephen and Trevor. I said, look, I have a plan. You know, I'm, go I'm going to the Young Rider European. <laughs> and I'm going on this horse. And they were like, right, Casey, it's never done an international. You know, you, neither have you. And you're going to the Young Rider Europeans. I was like, yes, I am. Right, let's get cracking. Let's make a plan. So we got this horse. Um, three weeks later, I'm in Ballandennis doing the two-star long because I needed this box ticking qualification. So off we set, MAR done. Um, we got that. And I said, right, I'm going. And very determinedly set about all winter. Um, we were going to get, we were going there. So met out my plan and realized then that every event I had to do on this horse had to be an MAR. Like the whole, everything was qualification the whole way through. There was not one event we could have a slip up or the whole thing was gone. So we started the year. And look, it was a wonderful horse, but it was not, you know, compared to the people who maybe had a horse that another rider had invented at four star and had been bought for them to go and do young riders. Yeah. It, it was not that, like, she's brilliant, very determined to get through the flags. But I think looking back, she'd done like 16 events and jumped one clear out in the show jumping. But in my very determined head, I was like, right, well, I'm, that's I'm good at. So I will, I will get this horse to jump clear out. That's fine, no problem. Um, so off we set first event of the year, I think I had to get points. I couldn't even go intermediate because my horse didn't have the points. I think I had to be in the top three. So off I go to Ballandenisk. And of course, everyone was there, you know, like, oh, like Sam Watson, Sarah Anna, Stephen, Fraser Duffy, Camilla Spirio, everyone's there. I'm like, crap, I have to be in the top three. So luckily <laughs> enough, I actually came third. So that was a good start. Got my points. Off we go. So yeah. Every event then was an MAR. We did Torella, Lascarvin, went to Dennis for the three shorts. Pontchastown then was a young rider trial. Uh, we led that. The ground was quite hard, so we just decided not to run the horse hard. I think it went down to third, but still the highest young rider in the class. I was like, could have won, but best thing for the horse. We couldn't go fast with the ground. And then we went to Tattersalls to do the under-25s. She was fifth highest of the Irish, which was good enough to get us, you know, to get us picked. We got through the long format. It's always good, reassuring when they trot up the next day. And from there, then we were going to, we were picked for the Europeans. So that was a, that was wow. a, I finally got my, got my dream, my green jacket that I wanted from back then. So yeah, I'd literally, I'd say like, I'd literally, I'd say like, you know, with how determined you were when you had, you know, when you first seen the Europeans, you know, you kept that drive through you all those years and you had that such good health throughout all of the years. And kind of going back to, you know, 
um, Stephen and Trevor having been based there for so long, how important is it for any writer to have that constant level of knowledge as you're working yourself up the levels? You know, I, like I suppose eyes on the ground all the time, you know, you spoke about the experience of riding so many different horses. How important is it for riders to go out there and base themselves in a yard? I think it is absolutely crucial. You know, like in order to be really successful, this, you know, it, the riding is such a, it's a very important part, but it's such a small part. You actually nearly have to be like a vet, farrier, a business person, a psychologist. You have to deal with owners and you have to be in a system and see how that works. You know, how, like, for example, I've now been in the situation, you know, I rode horses that were young horses went on to lay on. Stephen was going to the senior Europeans last year until his horse had a knock. But I've been in the programme for that. When, I, when that is me, I've already been in the system that has produced horses to that level. You know, we're trying to go to the World Games this year. So when I'm in the situation, I've already been through the process with someone else. So it's not going to be new. I think at that level, it's really important to experience all these things and how they work. But even on the ground, like you look like, Charlotte Desjardins still with Carl Hester, you know, you've Lauren Nicholson in America with the O'Connors. So many of these good people we watch have someone constantly on the ground. You know, and it's not that someone's standing teaching you all day. It's not, it's just a set of eyes to go move it up a bit. You know, your horse isn't straight. Or we go in and have lunch and I go, you know, I was trying to do this and this horse from my shoulder into the left wasn't working and falling out a bit what should I do you know and you just bounce ideas off each other um, and I think that's really important to have just constant help because you can be people think about being a working pupil is when you're starting off doing 100 but actually like I'm definitely a working pupil at like three star four star you you don't get this magic set of knowledge that you can suddenly teach a horse how to do a canter half pass you know, I find it like I, for example, I'm teaching one of my horses to do the changes at the moment to hopefully go four star, and it's great having someone on the ground going, you know, you need to move the canter up a bit, you know, try the line there, try it again, just stop you from, you know, getting it wrong basically, or helping you how you're going to get it right, and yeah, I definitely think it's so important on how just to manage the whole thing, how to get these horses fit, you know, how to pick your competitions how to speak to owners, how to deal, just how to deal with the whole thing, because there is so much to it. Yeah, yeah. and I think it's like, you know, it, it, it's very valuable, like you say, you know, it, it's not content teaching, it's just that, the, the extra, the extra eye on the ground. And when you finally reached your childhood dreams, and actually kind of going back a little bit, I loved how you showed them to a high level as well as as well as evented, um, I think kind of having that variety in the disciplines again broadens your experience even more, you know. But what was it like when you finally reached your childhood dream of getting to the Europeans? I suppose you know, did you get there and kind of think, oh my god, I'm here, I can't wait to do this, or you know, did you ever get overwhelmed having achieved it? If that makes sense, and how was it? you know how did you deal with any pressure or did you get nervous or anything like that so yeah in terms in terms of coping with pressure that that is something I've learned to deal with you know like I've always had to ride for owners and um, pretty much since I was 12 or 13 through pony so I've always had that aspect of when I come out of the ring I have to answer to someone you know and everyone has their own goals and expectations about their horses and how they feel it should have went. And I just, I've got to see how I realise, you know, and I know there's no one that puts more pressure on me than me. You know, I beat myself up about every little thing. I lie in bed at night and go, that could have been better. I should have done that. You know, I was riding a horse today. That should have been better. So, you know, there's no one putting more pressure on me than me. That was the first thing. And then I, it was said to me one day, and it's really stuck with me, that you know, pressure is privilege. Do I want to be in the position to ride all these horses? And if you have anything in life that you can gain or you can lose from it, there's going to be pressure with that. 
And if you're in a position that you've no pressure, you probably don't have a lot to gain or lose from the situation. So I try and remind myself of that. You know, something good can come with this. And also, no one who does more than you tends to criticise you. You know, it's people who do less are the ones that tell you you're not good enough, you'll not be able to do this. You know, that's that was a big thing for me too. You know, I find that the really, you know, really good riders have no problem helping you. You know, if you're stuck at a fence, you know, you want to ask, you know, like for example, at Torella last year, you know, I asked Sarah Ennis, there was two corners. I was like, how did your horse jump the corners? You know, what's going on? And, you know, very easy answer for her to say would have been fine, four strides. You know, she was like, I came up to it and he buzzed his left shoulder out a bit and I didn't quite have the canter I wanted and he jumped in a bit to the left. So then I added a bow, you know, and that made my distance a bit longer than it should have been. There was people who are good will help you. It's the people who have done less and tend tend to want to criticise you. So I try and keep that in mind too. And I also... You know, I, I do like learning from different sports and experts from different sports. And I learned, or what, or actually I listened to a podcast one night. can't remember his name. That's how well I listened. But it was the kicking coach who coached Johnny Sexton and Johnny Wilkinson. And he's saying, you know, there's loads of people can kick a rugby ball between the crossbars to score, but it's who can kick the winning, you know, who can kick that winning, those winning points when it matters to win a match. Or to win it, you know, to win a big match. And I remember him saying, you know, they put 10 rugby balls out and they had to kick, you know, they had to try and kick all 10, you know, to score. But if you missed one, you had to go back to the start. And all these players were very capable of kicking any of these balls. But when you said you had to kick them all, and if or you had to score for everyone, if you didn't, you have to go back to the start, that's when people start crumbling under pressure. So it's something I try to do all the time. I try to put myself under pressure at home. You know, I jump around defences and you're not allowed to do a circle. You know, people are going to laugh things. But I, there's a course jumps up and I have to jump around. And I tell myself, you have to jump clear around because this is to win. And internationally, you need to jump this clear yeah. around. You know, and I constantly try and put myself under pressure. So when I'm in that situation, it's normal. You know, or mm. ride your whole dressage test through. And if you mess it up, you're not allowed to do a circle. You know, you have to keep going. You know, just I try and keep putting myself in these situations of pressure and keep myself in my bubble then with the things I can control. And then I can go into the ring at a show and go, well, this is just what I do at home. You know, and just try and replicate it. And for me, that's how I've learned to cope with it and deal with it. And yes, look, like everything, sometimes it doesn't go well and you have to, you just have to deal with it. But that's how I find the best way to just cope with the pressure of it. I love that um, <clears throat> familiarizing familiarizing yourself with how to deal under pressure. And I love how you, you know, like oftentimes pressure can be seen as a negative thing, but like you you change the language and you know said that pressure is a privilege. And that in itself is advice for any writer of any age, you know, is like put yourself under pressure at home. You know, because like that, it, it just becomes more familiar at an end and, and not going to crumble under it then, you know. And it's probably something maybe not a lot of people do, but it's definitely something that should be done a, a little bit more. Like you said, you know, don't go through, like you go through the test and you make mistakes, you have to finish the test, don't do a circle when you're jumping. And and it's just, it's it's constantly like you say improving yourself and I think there's such valuable um valuable advice in that yeah and that, that's something I've really picked up from you know training with Stephen like he is um you know he is a winner he is an out and out winner I think he won like 33 classes nationally last year and the next person was 16 you know he is a winner and you know he rides every day like he is trying to win you know, every straight line is as straight as a poker. Every transition's correct. You know, he's riding in like December and he's doing setting trot and he's setting up like he's in the four star somewhere. You know, nothing is ever not good enough. You know, everything is perfect all the time. And from the way the yards manage to the way he rides his horses. And for me, that's a very good thing to be around because you see how committed you have to be to 
perfect and horses are a bit funny because you're committed to perfection but like it's unattainable but you have to be committed to it you know no one ever gets to zero in their dressage you know perfection is not possible but you have to try and do it all the time where no one can have the most perfect round but you have to keep working towards that so yeah operating I think in that environment and that competition environment all the time or even like for me you know there's clients in you're showing them horses like if you mess up that could ruin a deal you know there's this constant pressure which actually is a good thing because when you go to competitions and all you've been you're really used to it yeah yeah I love that I love that so how did you cope with the pressure and how did you feel when you actually got to the Europeans um, I actually remember we had a meeting with the sports psychologist from Horse Sport Ireland, Sally Criscadden, a few days before um, about you know how you're feeling about the week and what you wanted to do. And I actually felt very calm, you know, because the whole year, the whole thing was pressurised, that if we made one mistake, it wasn't happening. I actually felt this sense of calm. You know, we, we actually got there. And I remember saying to Sally, like, you know, my horse isn't the fanciest one here. Do I realistically know, not sounding like I don't care, but I know I'm not in the position to win an individual medal. Do it. That's an unrealistic dream. I have my own goal for this week. But the way I've seen it at that stage was like, right, I've got this. I want to go to the senior one. I want to be on the senior team and this is experience. It act, you know, for the next bit, it actually just put a fire in me that I wanted to do it again and get there again. Wow, wow. I love I love how um you know that you saw it as a stepping stone. Oftentimes with um goals, you know, I was talking to somebody the other day about how we should see our goals as climbing a mountain. And it's not getting to the top. Obviously, getting to the top is the, the fun part, but it's the bit in the middle of climbing the mountain that is is, is the fun part, it's it's the process of, of getting to your destination. And I love how you saw the Europeans as, you know, part of the process to where you want to get even more, you know. So what kind of, what helped you drive and, you know, what keeps you motivated to stay going to the like of the Europeans and whatever else, whatever else you want to achieve? I actually just love riding horses. You know, I love getting up every day. And training horses and I think that's really important because with horses like there's a lot of disappointments I think anyone who has horses knows that you know the goalposts constantly change you know you do something a horse maybe gives itself a knock or one you thought would be brilliant maybe turns out not to be as brilliant as you thought and maybe one that you didn't think much of actually turns out to be a superstar that's not a disappointment that's great actually if that happens but I, you know, I actually just love training horses and I love getting up every morning and doing it. So the process for me isn't very hard at all. Uh, that, you know, and I think as you get little, for me anyways, you get little bits of success or little bits of progress that drives you even more. Like I know today, for example, I took a four-year-old for its first day away from home and it went into the school and it's, you know, where we were schooling and it spoke and looked about the place and dumped this first course and you're kind of kicking and slapping it around and give it a little breather and then it can't around the course the next time you know that gives it to me that gives me a high you know as much as winning something does because that horse learned something today and then I went home and was riding some other horses and then one that I'm teaching the changes to at the moment you know, we cantered across and did one clean change one way and did another clean change the other way and then quite embarrassing I punched the air like I had one badminton or something everyone laughed <laughs> You know, that's been something we've been building with that horse and it worked. And those wee moments for me, they motivate me. You know, I want more, I want to do it again. And I just keep building on it. And out of all of the, um, you know, competitions, what would be your proudest competition moment to date? My proudest moment, I think, would be last well I don't I'm going to pick two actually I can't pick one um so last year 
I was second in the two-star short in Kalaki on a mare called Laura Zimp, who are owned by the O'Shea family, who are very good supporters of me and our yard. And it was that which was brilliant. You know, I was delighted with second. And actually the horse that won, I rode when I was at university as a five-year-old and did young event horse on. So that was that was a really cool experience for me. You know, last year was probably my was my first year, you know, doing the whole season sort of full time as an event rider. So that meant a lot to me, you know, saying I got second, but actually started off the horse that won as well. I know a lot of work went into that horse afterwards, but if they're not started well, you know, if they don't doesn't go on so I'll take a wee bit of credit um and also then my my mare in April's Pacino time or Cornelia as I call her everyone knows her um she won uh, intermediate or 115 at Lockamore and that meant a lot to me because I had that horse from she was three years old you know we've done everything together we've come up through you know the young event horse and you know built up to there so to actually to you know, have say I had the horse in the very beginning and she won an intermediate. That was that was really cool. And she actually then there we found out she won the leading eight and nine year old mare. The horse Sport Island had a, a league for mares, so she won that. So that was really cool too. You know, you've that you've started started off and taught the horse. So that, that was really cool actually. Yeah. Wow, wow. No, that's really nice. And I like, you know, how you're right, you know, the horse that won um in, in the international you know it is that the start is, is important but it's nice to take um that I suppose that joy and that you know you were a part of that horse's journey you know as well as as well as coming second you know what I mean and you mentioned about um people having challenges with horses and stuff like that you know I've said it so many times it's inevitable we've all we've all dealt with it but in terms of your journey has there ever been any challenges that you've had to overcome that made you into the rider you are today? I would say probably one of the biggest challenges is actually you know being able to be in the position to keep the horses you know our whole business is we produce these young horses that go on and get sold and they go on to do very well you know it's is is brilliant and I love watching them I've got one now that I've got to keep and you know so that's given me you know it's given me a lot of confidence and the other ones have gone on to do well you know I had a, a lovely horse actually that I would have loved to keep but just didn't have an owner at the time that was in the position to keep it with me and actually it's gone on you know Padre McCarthy asked me did I know of any nice young horses and I said I do have this one. I don't really want to sell it, but I don't want it to go, but that's what it's looking like. And you know, he bought it and it's gone very well for him and his owner. So you know, it gives you heart actually that these really top people want the horses that you have and they're going on to do well on them. So that you know it's good, but I would just something I'm working on, I would just love to build up a group of people that when we go and pick these nice young horses that they can actually stay and we can see the whole journey through with them you know and it's something I really um, we work on you know our owners come to the yard all the time we have a completely open door policy you know, we train you come in and watch whatever horse you want you have coffee some buns um you know and they come to the shows and it is like a big family you know and everyone watches everyone's horse and I just want to grow that a bit and have a group of people who want to have these horses on these big days like competing you know we can keep them and produce them to that level and go to the big events and have them on teams and be at these four and five stars and it's just about grow you know trying to grow that so that we have the right people who want to see it through involved in the horses so for me that's probably been the challenge that sometimes you don't always get to keep the horses you want but it is also meant I've had a lot of experience riding all the different horses and it's stood to me because I said I, th- I really do think you can't beat experience in this there's a reason that all the people are winning are in their 30s 40s 50s you know because it takes so long to be good at it it's nearly so destroying how, how long it takes but um, yeah for me that's probably the challenge I'm not in the position just to go out and buy whatever horse I want and keep it but we'll try we'll try and build up a team and maybe change that a little yeah yeah, no, it's, it's always it's always hard to 
you know, sell the one that you 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 think that are right for you. You know, it's it's, it's never easy, and for everybody in 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 horses, it's it's as much as a passion as it is a business as well, and it's just making the right decisions. And I guess kind of skipping a little bit to one of the questions is advice for up and coming riders. You know, of of what you've learned so far at at, at Trevor and 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 Stevens. What kind of advice would you have for riders, older or younger, in terms of building up that, you know, building up your name and and building up your business in terms of of encouraging owners in, in into your team? <clears throat> I think you just have to keep improving as a rider. You know, and I be really conscious for me of the impression you give off as in like when you go to the events your horses are tidy and clean and well turned out you know the back of your lorry is tidy you know you're well dressed and to be honest results also speak for themselves you know people people want to be involved in something that works and I think if you just keep improving you know it'll it'll take care of itself eventually is how it was how I look at it anyway. I'm not a, I'm not great at social media. I know some people are really into it. I go through a bit of a love hate relationship with it, and so I don't put anything up for ages. And then I'm like, oh, well, the horse did well. I better put a picture up or something. Um, you know, for me, I think if like social media, that'd be a bit of advice. You know, don't get too caught up in it. It's very easy to look at it and think everyone else is having the best day ever all the time. So you, know, you watch. Um, you know, I remember one day maybe not having a great day at the event and I went home and I looked, there was a certain like British international rider put up, you know, my two horses won at the event today. And I was like, you always win. Jeez. And I actually looked up the results and they had six horses at the event and the other four were crap. Um, you know, and two won, but they don't, you know, no one puts that on Instagram. But when you look it up, you know, if you, everyone has those bad days. So that's... Yeah, you just have to keep building. But yeah, that would be also my advice. Try not to get too caught up in social media because you do look at it and go, everyone else is doing so well and I'm so tired. Mm. And, you know, everything's not going to plan. But actually, in fact, everyone has those days the more you talk to them. And it's not always going well for everyone all the time. So yeah, don't get too caught up in social media. That's my advice. I love um I love that you brought uh, social media into this because it's kind of something that I like to keep at the forefront of the conversations on the podcast because it's so you know it's heavily involved in our lives and like you say everybody has a love hate relationship with it but I think you know I I love how you mentioned that you know you we might have had a bad day and you go look on social and everybody's had a a fantastic time but you know, you, you put it into context as to how the whole day was, you know, there was obviously other stuff that went on behind the scenes. And I think it's important for riders to not compare their behind the scenes to everybody else's highlight reel, you know. And I guess, do you manage your time um, on social media? And I suppose if you were to have a bad day, would that be one of the things you do to cope with a bad day or just to not go on social media? Um. Well, I try and put my phone on the shelf in the yard uh, when I'm riding my horses that's the first thing I don't carry my phone with me because it, you, you to me you get distracted you know it starts beeping who is that the phone rings you answer it you know and then you're thinking about the phone call you have to phone someone else because of that phone call um and you're actually trying to do your job which is the first thing is to train these horses yeah. so I do try and put my phone away um, unless there's, you know, someone's coming and, you know, they're going to get lost if they phone me. But I do really try and put my phone away and concentrate. That's That would be the first thing I do. And, yeah, I made a really conscious decision just to, like, unfollow people who maybe their feeds don't always make, you know, make me feel the best. Or you just try to be a bit more conscious and, you know, save out what I don't want to look at. Or what I don't want to say, and it's okay to not want to look at everyone or say things and manage it as you want to. For me, that was a big thing. And I just have all my apps turn off on my phone, like do not disturb at like 10 o'clock. That was more so I'd go to bed on time, um, probably than looking at social media. But you do, you get sucked into it. Everyone does. You're sitting on a couch and you're half talking to someone, half scrolling. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah, and just looking at absolute nonsense like half the time. So yeah, I just said that was not an efficient addition to my day. So I was trying to cut that down as best I could. Yeah, I really like that advice. And I think it's definitely something that everybody could take coming away from this conversation. And with all the experience that you've had working, you know, throughout the years, what, and, and having ridden so many horses, what do you look for in an event horse? What do you, what qualities do you like in an event horse the most? I think it's really important to have a horse with good confirmation, you know, good, good legs, good feet. You know, at the end of the day, to be an event horse, they have to be hardy and take the work, take the galloping, take the events. You know, and it, it is tough. Um, and in line with that, you have to be good at managing them. That's another side of it. You have to know your horses inside out. You have to know what their legs feel like. You have to know how they respond to hard ground, soft ground, should you go fast. It's not just about having a well-built horse. You also have to look after your, your well-built horse when you buy it. Um, so yeah, good confirmation for me is important so they can stick the work. Because you know, we all know of, oh, I had such a talented horse, but it just kept going lame. I couldn't keep it sound. You know, we all know one of those. So try not to have a good confirmation, hopefully. Try and keep us out of that. Um, and afterwards, I, I like an athletic horse. You know, it has to look like an athlete. I like horses that land over a fence, light in the ground, counter light in the ground. You know, I don't, a lot of people are drawn to these horses, these huge big jumps, but I watch them, you know, do a huge big jump and land like a heap at the other side of the jump. That does nothing for me. You know, I like, I like nice little athletic horses that, you know, their blood, I'm not, I have blood, people get sucked into thoroughbred, but, you know, to me, blood means they have an engine, they want to work, they enjoy the work. Mm -hmm. You know, they can cope with the galloping. They're the horses that when you go to the event and you're six, seven minutes into the long format, that they're they're still fighting for you to come out the next day and they're fighting for you. Yeah. Um, which is in their head, maybe more than a sheet of paper, what it says on it. But yeah, I just I like horses that are athletes and I just have to be drawn to them, to be honest. I can't really put that into words, you know, you just I like to sit in them and sometimes you just click and they're maybe not the horse that when you look at them trotting around. You know, you pick and you sit on them and I don't know, you just, I think you just know. Um, that's probably, if people are trying to learn from that, that's not a good thing. Be a bit of advice, but you just know. But, you know, different you know, you know. You know, you know. Um, different horses suit different people too, you know. There's maybe big flash, huge horses that, you know, I'm not the tallest in the world. You know, they're big and strong, wouldn't do anything for me, but. A little small blood mare would be my, absolutely my cup of tea and not other people. So you just have to know what you like and know what suits you and you know, try your best to go with what suits you, not what other people tell you, I think. Yeah, really solid advice there. And I know this, I might know, well, we know the answer to this question already, but other than Stephen and Trevor, who else do you look up to, um, I suppose, in, in, in the industry? actually really look up to people you know not only eventing but really you know across all the disciplines I think any riders who constantly produce horses to top level you know and also are successful across multiple disciplines you know you look at like Michael Young fantastic variables a top class shoe jumper you know, Ingrid Klimka Grand Prix dressage rider as well you know Peter Fredrickson you know top class shoe jumper also did an Olympics eventing you know all these people are just top class horse people and they can manage horses and consistently produce them to the top. So you know, a lot of people that they would sort of be my idols. Um, anyone who knows me will know Mac. I'm Peggy March's biggest fan. And um, like Facebook even gave me a badge to say I was her top fan. I watched all her vlogs religiously again and again. They're um, absolutely brilliant. I know, I'm like, I, that's why I do having my supper now at night. It's an insight into my life, watching my Piggy March train with Piggy TV. I think it's called watching all the flat work videos, being really geeky, sending an email. I really enjoyed that one. Would you mind doing one on this? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, and I, I, well, I think Piggy March is fantastic. You know, constantly produces horses up to the top level and, you know, wins on everything from four-year-olds, you know, 100s novice right up to the very top level 
top class on absolutely everything. So yeah, Piggy Mart is a big one. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I suppose looking into the future then, um, what would be long-term and short-term goals for you? Uh, so short-term, keep improving every week, hope it gets a little better. In terms of long-term, I said, I want, you know, I want to build a group of people around me who want to keep these horses to go up the levels, you know, and not just get on a team, but be one of these people that's consistently producing the horses up and have a system that, you know, we have nice five-year-olds, nice six-year-olds, nice seven-year-olds, you know, whether we sell, you know, some, and that's absolutely okay. You know, owners may want to keep them up, may want to sell, but we have a system that is producing these horses consistently and producing them through to the top level and hopefully keeping me, when I get up there, keeping me up there. Um, you know, and I would like to do all, you know, the senior teams, the Olympics, the World Games, the badmintons, you know, that's my goal. And not just get there, do well when we are there. And that's, you know, and that, that gets me up every morning, back to the motivation. That's, you know, that gets me up, gets me going every morning. Um, you know, when it's, when you've got your event horses back in, in December and they all have to go around the road and the freezing cold and the rain, and I get literally allergic to the cold. You know, my 20 layers of clothes, I get chill blends and I'm riding around in freezing cold up the hills, you know, getting these horses fit. And it is those things that keep me motivated. So, yeah, that's the plan. Love that. Love that. And just to finish on some quick fires, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Um, the harder you work, the luckier you get love that one I really like that one what does success mean to you that is a good question um <laughs> I f- I feel I've been successful when I can go to bed at night and think have I done the best by my horse today and I think that's more important than winning and more important than producing them you know, an example was that of, was my mare was second Cornelia was second at the Carn last year you know, when we had, we were hit, led off the dressage and clear shoe jumping. We went down to second and look, I would have been delighted with second before we went and I was delighted. You know, on time faults cross country, you know, I think they kind of joked it was Captain Slow, you know, my 16 time penalties. But I, you know, it was very hilly and I had never run my horse around a course with that many hills. And I went the speed that I felt was best for my horse and it finished full of running. And you actually started show jump afterwards in these national intermediates. And she came out feeling great and popped around and jumped to clear around and came out of the stable the next day with nice cold legs that everyone loves when you have horses, that feeling of running your hands down their legs, they're cold. <laughs> and no filling, that's also a good one. Um, yeah, and that was more important to me than winning. I did the best thing by my horse. And I look back at that event and I, there was people who ran their horses round inside the time and not three or four show jumps down and there was horses that didn't run again that you know after that last year that ran hard and I know I did the best thing by my horse and that was more successful than maybe racing the legs off it to win and you don't you know I don't have a crystal ball I don't know what would have happened maybe it would have been fine if I went a bit faster but when I was going around those hills I didn't know you know, how it was going to finish yeah. and yeah to me that's Success if I can keep improving and keep doing the best by my horses. Hopefully the rest will just click in. It's, yeah, so that's success to me, that. having happy horses. Love that, love that. What has been your most embarrassing moment in eventing? Oh, yeah, we were, I was actually going around on a hack today with Sarah, Sarah Orr, who's the head girl in the yard. And she was asking me about like, what have been your disasters? And I, I did come up with this. Um, so when I was in juniors, I rode a horse for Stephen and Trevor called Hill Dancer. And I did my first intermediate in Kilmanahan. And I did the dressage and I actually was marketed to ahead of Stephen. And you could have given me a million, couldn't have given me a million pounds at this stage because I was like, I'm ahead of Stephen, nor die great. And so I was all chuffed. I went out, you know, out on the cross country, we're flying around and you know, there's no event in Kilmanahan anymore, unfortunately. But anyone who was there, remember you jumped into the water and you go into the woods. And this horse was particularly spooky. 
So then we jump into the water and all the people in the woods, then he turned around and pissed off the other way in the water. I fell in the water, like the third last jump, and covered in muck and water and had to um, walk home and tell Stephen that after jumping all the big jumps, I fell off in the middle of the water jump. And, yeah, that went down well. Um, and I had no change of clothes and we were four hours from home. So I had to like hook around Stephen and Trevor's bags and get whatever clothes they had and make myself a bit of makeshift outfit. So yeah, that wasn't great. <laughs> um, and I also learned that day to always bring spare clothes. So if you see me, I go into the events with like my bags of spare everything. Um, so, yeah. Oh no, the water of all places. Yeah. Yeah, look, you have loads of bad days and horses. I like, know the bottom of quite a few water jumps very well. And I was, uh, <laughs> yeah. You'll learn. I'm going to do a rating system. <laughs> Who's the cleanest? <laughs> oh, my God. And finally, your favourite horse that you don't own, but you'd love to ride. So, like, somebody else's horse that you'd love to ride. Oh, that's a good one. I know a very obvious answer people always pick is Toledo de Cursor, but I actually think Todd McEwen's brilliant and he makes that horse as brilliant as it is. Um, oh, that's a good one. I've been very lucky to have a sit on Mr. Chunky, actually. I've actually got to ride that one. That he was you know, he was just a different league, a very good horse. Um, do you know I'm going to go out of my discipline? I'd actually love to have a go on Explosion, Ben Mayer's horse. I think he's Machine. just an absolute, you know, out and out athlete. Back to that, just a, he's yeah, so fast, so blood, such a good jumper. Um, yeah, I want to go on Explosion. That's my answer. Love that. Oh my God, Casey, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, chatting to you and. Within our conversation, I know that there is just so much value in everything you had to say and so much, you know, um, stuff that people are going to go away and think about. And yeah, so if anybody wants to get in contact with you um, about anything eventing related or even the podcast, where can they get in touch? Uh, you can send me a Facebook request. That's a bit old school, isn't it? Like Facebook or an Instagram request. I have a Facebook page in case whoever venting I don't use it very much, but I will answer the messenger. Um, or just add my normal Facebook as well. Lovely. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having me.